Hello, Sangha News listeners. I'm Baba Golia, IMS's Executive Director, and I'm sitting here on a cloudy winter's day at IMS with Rebecca Bradshaw, who's teaching this month uh, at the Forest Refuge, one of our two practice centers. Rebecca has been leading retreats at IMS for a decade, in addition to offering the Dharma at the Forest Refuge. She teaches several courses each year at our retreat center, including courses for teens and young adults, as well as each fall's three-month retreat. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Happy to be here. Rebecca, I understand that you are particularly interested in exploring the relationship between meditation and the deeply conditioned patterns of thought and feelings that many of us carry. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about this topic. Great. Let's start with um, asking you to say a bit more about the relationship between practice and persistent habits of thought and emotions. Many folks come to meditation because they're suffering from their thoughts and their emotions, maybe turbulent emotions or uncontrollable thoughts that are causing lots of suffering. And we come to meditation with a hope that practice will alleviate some of the suffering. Sometimes students report after quite a period of practice that they're still having some of the same old patterns coming up. And they can feel discouraged. They can judge their practice, think that they don't know how to practice, or question if mindfulness even works. These kinds of um, persistent patterns of thought and emotion, my teacher called them karmic knots, which is an expression I really like. A karmic knot can be a complex of uh, thoughts and emotions that are very tightly bound together and they can seem um, inflexible. And they're often very deeply conditioned patterns. They're often patterns that come from our childhood or they may be patterns that are persistent cultural beliefs. But they're usually patterns that have been played through many times and they're um, deeply uh, reinforced in the mind and so they're difficult to change. I also see karmic knots as a, uh, a spiritual issue because it's these complexes that we have or um, these uh, deeply ingrained conditioned patterns that we have where we most identify with a sense of self. So it's where we'll most notice um, identification and clinging to a sense of self, which the Buddha said uh, gets in the way of our freedom. So it seems it would be nice if we could kind of skip over these patterns and somehow uh, just not identify with them from the very beginning, but this doesn't always seem to be the case. One of the beauties of working with karmic knots is the compassion that's engendered by um, engaging honestly and uh, directly with these patterns in our own experience, in our own practice. So how did you get interested in this, Rebecca? Well, uh, one reason I got interested was seeing persistent patterns in my own practice that still came up after many, many years of practice, and also from what students have um, told me. So a while ago, a number of months ago, I started thinking about some of these persistent patterns that have actually changed over the years and that I have seen, uh, you could say, a movement from identification to not identifying or a movement from contraction around these patterns to spaciousness around these patterns. And so I got interested in thinking, well, how did, how did this happen? 
you know, how did mindfulness actually work to transform these karmic knots? I noticed in my mind that there were like six phases that we can go through that describe kind of the progression of mindfulness or the progression of development of wisdom with these karmic knots that um, helps us move from aversion, judgment, contraction to interest, care, and it helps develop the mindfulness and the wisdom. So can you give me an example of what you're calling karmic knots that has come up in your experience where in fact you've made that movement? Sure. There's one pattern or a karmic knot that is very common. I hear from many other people, many yogis, that they struggle with this, and I've seen it in my own life. It's a, a pattern of feeling not good enough or perfectionism, or it can take, there's many strands to it, but kind of at the foundation is that feeling of not being good enough. And so out of that comes striving, perfectionism, anxiety, control, all kinds of different strands. And it's, like I said, it's a knot. It all, um, all these strands interweave with each other. So I've seen for myself over the years and working with uh, practice that this has, I've gone from a place of being really lost, able to get really lost in this kind of pattern of thought and emotion to where I'm able to notice it and not be particularly bothered by it. And also that it's diminished, diminished quite significantly in, in its um, tightness and in its, uh, in, even in its appearance. So what practice suggestions would you have for anyone working with these habitual ingrained destructive thoughts or feelings? Well, what I can do is tell you a little bit about the six phases and kind of how they evolve. And I think it's really helpful for people. I found it really helpful for uh, students that I've shared this with to describe these phases because most often they'll go, oh, yeah, I recognize that. And then also it helps us develop compassion and patience to hear, oh, it's okay. It's okay that it takes a while. And we can see that even though it takes a while, there is a developing uh, wisdom. There is uh, deepening mindfulness. So the first phase I call pre-awareness, and this is where we're not even aware that our karmic knot is operating, so to speak. So this would be like fish in the ocean. It's like this is just, it seems like this is life. So for example, when I was really young or when I was younger, I had this pattern going, but I didn't really understand it. As a teenager, I, I used to, um, when I'd go to bed at night, I would think over my day to see if I'd worried enough about everything, that I'd gotten everything just right. And if I hadn't, I would worry more. So like that's, and I would worry until everything seemed all right. That's like an example of like extreme perfectionism. But I didn't know that, I didn't realize that that wasn't what was going on, that that wasn't like so helpful. <laughs> so it's like we're lost in the pattern. We don't even see it. And then when I first came to meditate here when I was 24 in my first long retreat, I would say that this pattern came out as a desire to be super yogi. I was, I was going to be the perfect yogi. I was going to be the best yogi. And so lots of striving and kind of a harshness towards myself as I practiced, kind of based in that feeling that I wasn't good enough. But I didn't know that that's what was going on. So I call that pre-awareness. We don't yet know even that it's happening. And then the second phase I call being aware after. And this is when we, we, we're not aware when the karmic knot is operating. We're not aware, but we're aware afterwards that it, that's what had been happening. And this is how mindfulness works a lot. It's, it, it, when, it, when we're first becoming mindful of something, we're often mindful afterwards. We're not, 
we're not yet, the mindfulness isn't strong enough yet to be aware during. And so it's like we get hijacked by the karmic knot, and then afterwards we go, oh, I was hijacked. <laughs> and people can see this a lot with um, anger. It's very obvious. We'll get angry. We won't know that we're angry. We'll do or say something. And then when it passes, like, oh, you know, anger just totally took me over. We weren't mindful during, but afterwards. The Buddha said it was great that this is a good step to be mindful afterwards. He recommended that we reflect after actions to see whether they were wholesome or not. Even though the mindfulness isn't strong enough to be aware during, afterwards we can reflect and start to learn. So it's a good thing. Then the third phase I call being aware during. And this is when we start to be able to be mindful while the karmic knot is present or unfolding. So we start to be able to allow ourselves to actually experience what this knot feels like. So I started to be able to experience what it was like to be harsh towards myself, what that actually felt like. I started to be able to live through the experience. This phase is actually the most painful phase because while we're able to have mindfulness that the karmic knot's operating, we aren't always yet able to not identify with it. So we'll often still be identifying with it, meaning that, meaning that we'll believe the stories, we'll believe the thoughts. So even though I was feeling this energy of not good enough or needing to strive and be perfect, I still believed that I needed to do that. I still wasn't able to um, see it as a story or a creation in the mind. One of the great things about this phase of working with karmic knots is we're starting to turn towards our experience rather than trying to get away from it or get rid of it. We're turning towards it and we can start to develop lots of interest and compassion through that turning towards. Sometimes we'll even begin to understand that this is a human experience. So we even can start to take it a little less personally. It's not so much Rebecca isn't good enough. It's like, oh, this is something that happens to human beings. This is, this is human suffering. And so we find that we start to soften during this stage. It's important when we're investigating these, these deep patterns of thought and emotion that it's done with a sense of balance. And so at this point, when we're interested and there's energy, we can really connect directly with the experience and what it feels like. But when we're overwhelmed, which can happen, we can get overwhelmed again and hijacked by these feelings, and some of them can be quite tender, then it's actually good to learn how to back off and how to um, bring the attention somewhere else. So it's, it's really important that it's done with balance and lots of care. We also might wind up at this point seeing how pervasive the pattern is. I went through a phase of practice here where I noticed that I judged every breath I took. It was very quick, but at the end of every breath, it was like, was that breath okay? Did I pay attention to it okay? And it was like every single breath. It was quite shocking to see that. A risk at this stage is that we can get overly fascinated with our story. So... We want to do this investigation in a way that's helping strengthen mindfulness and eventually helping us not to take the story personally. But sometimes we can get kind of fascinated with a story and 
and all the angles of it and, and in a way that actually kind of increases our identification with it. So that's something we want to watch out for at this stage. Then the next stage is, um, I call it not identifying, and this is where we really start, the power of the mindfulness and wisdom really starts to grow, and we'll see the pattern come up, we'll, we'll allow it to be, but we start not taking it so personally. It's like, oh, this is just a story in the mind, or this is just an emotion. There's, there, there's much more spaciousness in the mind at this point, and we start to not identify with thoughts and emotions, but it, it's a genuine not identifying. It's not one that we try to make up and put on top, but one that comes from having um, made peace somehow with the thoughts and emotions. So it's less sticky. That's what I mean when I say not identifying. It's less sticky. The thoughts and the emotions may arise, but they're not so sticky. They don't hijack us so often. We don't identify with them. And then um, the fifth phase, I call it tasting freedom. And at this point, the karmic knot doesn't arise as often. It's like it's lost some of its juice. It's lost its uh, deep karmic power through repeated awareness, through repeated mindfulness. And um, when it does come up, it doesn't bother us so much. It's like, oh, there's that thought. Leonard Cohen said something about our patterns bore themselves into non-existence which I kind of like. <laughs> There's that sense that we almost get bored of the same old story, but not in an aversive way, like go away. It's just like, hmm, I've kind of been there, done that. I've, I've heard that one enough times. And we may even decide not to go down the highway just out of compassion for ourselves. And so there's a lot more spaciousness in the mind and in the heart um, and freedom to have choice around the pattern. And, we, and also at this point, we start to feel uh, a lot more stability and confidence in ourselves. And then the last phase of liberated heart and mind. In Buddhist teachings, we can purify the heart-mind stream to such an extent that there's no longer any clinging of any kind. And at this point, this is an educated guess because I'm not here, but <laughs> at this point, it would appear that there wouldn't be any place for these kinds of patterns to land, that there wouldn't be any clinging in the mind, any karmic juice of that type that would, um, that these uh, patterns would not arise anymore. So what role can retreat life play in the process of untangling karmic knots? Well, definitely being on a retreat and uh, taking that time to develop mindfulness, to really focus on mindfulness helps strengthen it. You can see in the stages that I talked about that the mindfulness gets stronger and stronger and more and more imbued with wisdom rather than ignorance. <laughs> so when our mindfulness gets strengthened, it has the power to really engage with these patterns and cut through the strong identification that, that often arises. But also I think of retreat time as an opportunity to relax and open to the places within ourselves that we might just not have time for during daily life. During daily life we may be very busy and have many obligations and have to, you could say, be someone. And when we come on retreat, this special container, we're freed from most responsibilities. Maybe we have our yogi job and have to take care of ourselves, basic care, but beyond that we're freed of other responsibilities. So it gives us the chance to relax and, and uh, let some of these patterns come to light. 
it's also helpful to explore these kinds of patterns with with teachers. I know that my teachers have been really helpful in me learning acceptance of these patterns rather than aversion of them. Really helpful sometimes when I've been caught to let me know that it's really okay that this is coming up. One story um, in my early practice, uh, my first long retreat here when I was 24 and I was doing a three-month retreat and I came in pretty, as I said, I was a perfectionist. So had some, uh, I was pretty together. <laughs> and about 10 days into the retreat, I started to feel a lot of emotions. And uh, I went into an interview with my teacher. I was quite distraught. I was like, I'm feeling sadness and anger and loneliness and, and irritation. And I, I can't remember what all the emotions were, but I swear there were at least 10. And so I was quite upset. So he listens to me. And then when I stop, he says, what's the problem? And I was stopped in my tracks. I was like, I said, you mean there isn't a problem? He's like, no, there's not a problem. <laughs> that was for me just mind opening that that, that that could be all right. It could be all right to feel all these things and to be not so together. He said, go take a walk, you'll be fine. And, and I did, I was fine. So that kind of reflecting, that kind of acceptance was really helpful for me. So on retreat, we get a chance to open and explore what our deep patterns of conditioning that maybe we repress more in daily life and then we also get the support of the teachers to help us do that. Sometimes retreat practice can intensify these patterns as I explained was seeing with every breath that I was uh, judging each breath. But this can be helpful because it helps us to see it more clearly. So Rebecca, thank you. Um, one of the things that I've taken from this discussion with you is that we can actually taste the freedom that the Buddha talked about even as we are working to untangle these karmic knots and that's very heartening to uh, to end our interview with with that thank you thank you